Let's take a look behind the page now um, as we get ready to chart this historic movie about this historic character. The first thing that we need to do is we need to acknowledge that in the same, just in the same way that black people are historically portrayed in movies and TV shows um, and all of the books as well, all the forms of entertainment, mm. the portrayal of black people um, is just marred with prejudice, racism, stereotypes that have plagued the depictions of, of black people since the very beginning of comic books or newspaper strips, however the form began. Um, especially portrayal, portrayals of African people, people from African as opposed to Afri- African Americans. They both have, you know, you would say equal amounts of um, stereotypes and racial prejudice built into them. But white writers seem to use Africa um and people from africa mm. as a great source of um, action adventure stories as they had done in all mediums um and we need to be aware of how we get towards something like black panther's debut in the 1960s as the very mm, well one of the first the most prominent black superheroes certainly mm. the first in a major mainstream comic book series um prominent african-american characters one of the earliest is from a newspaper strip done by cartoonist lee falk lee falk um is uh behind uh an awful lot of really fondly remembered so mandrake the magician mm. do you remember you, you might only remember it from the cartoon series the defenders of the defenders of the uh, defenders <laughs> that had the phantom yeah, and it had Flash Gordon, and yep. the other member of that group um, was Mandrake the Magician, Master of Magic Spells and Illusions. I never saw it, but I did oh, see wow. Robot. I did see Robot Chicken doing a take on it. Okay, so Mandrake <laughs> the Magician uh, newspaper strips. But we're going to roughly just about before superhero, um, before comic books are, are knocking around. Back when an awful lot of the action adventures um comic book stories are, are not comic books they are newspaper strips like popeye mm. and, and and things like that lee Falk's adventure strip mandrake the magician features this magician character with magic powers um and he has as a supporting character lothar um who is um portrayed as a former prince of the seven nations from africa Mm. um, a federation of jungle tribes um Mm. who passed on the chance to become king of those nations and instead follows mandrake who is white if i if it wasn't clear who follows mandrake on his world travels fighting crime um initially he is uh, a very, tr- very, a very, very stereotyped trope character, the um, illiterate mute character, exotically mm. garbed in animal skins, provides the muscle um, for Mandrake's kind of uh, smarts and intelligence on their adventures. The mute, strong, exotic African um, was a, a, a big trope in action adventure stories mm. across the board, um, if they're white-written anyway, which they all were, um, and persisted for a long time after the 1930s. Um, and it is stated in one in one of in the 1935 strips, so a year after it comes out, Lothar is referred to as Mandrake's giant black slave. Um, mm. That's one of the most prominent um, of the 30s. Now, there's some language 
I'm not going to say anything horrible here. Here we go. Come on, mate, please, for a minute. Does there's some language that is was appropriate in the time, mm. and when we're talking about some of these um, instances of historical events, mm. it's appropriate to use a word that I wouldn't refer to anyone by in jest or any other way going <laughs> forward. But much like if you look at the um, a significantly historical period of American baseball, you would be discussing the Negro League. Mm. Um, we're also going to talk now about um, a comic book that came out in the 1940s that was called All Negro Comics. Um, it came about in 1947, and a black journalist um, and a really incredible figure called Orrin Cromwell Evans, who worked for the Philadelphia Record at the time. He mm. was a general news writer, and he would write about all sorts of, of uh, issues that he could get in, including segregation and the armed services during World War II that he experienced. He would face death threats at the Philadelphia Record, um, discrimination. Um, He was thrown out of a press conference, a Charles Lindenberg press conference, because he was a black man and they wouldn't allow any of those in, even if they were journalists. Um, And there were things that that Orrin Cromwell Evans wanted to write about, specifically racial inequality um, and speak to, that he just simply was not able to do in the all-white publication that he worked Mm. for. So Evans created his own space to use comic books as a medium for telling stories about the black experience. Mm. He teamed up with two former um, colleagues of his, Harry T. T. Saylor and Bill Driscoll, to found All Negro Comics in June of 1947. Um, They published their first issue, a 48-page book with colour cover, an anthology of different stories featuring a range of all-black characters – And everyone that worked on the comic was also black as well. So it's Mm. black-owned, black-created about black characters. Mm. And it included the world's very first black superhero, Lion Man. Lion Man? Lion Man. Um, Mm. There's an editorial that's important, I think, from the first and unfortunately only issue of all Negro comics. And it was written by Evans. It says, Dear readers, this is the first issue of all Negro comics, jam-packed with fast action, African adventure, good, clean humor and fantasy. Every brushstroke and pen line in the drawings on these pages are by Negro artists. This publication is another milestone in the splendid history of Negro journalism. Mm. All Negro comics will not only give Negro artists an opportunity gainfully to use their talents, but it will glorify Negro historical achievements. Lion Man, the first black superhero, appears on the front cover of the uh, very first and only issue. His garb resembles Tarzan, really, um, with a cloth kind of covering over his loins, and he boasts quite an interesting backstory. Um, He is a scientist whom the United Nations task with watching over Magic Mountain somewhere in Africa's Gold Coast region. The area has enough uranium for a deadly bomb, and therefore Lion Man must report any suspicious activity to prevent People coming in, stealing uranium, and starting a deadly war. Mm. He does more than feed information. As Lion Man, he is full-on knocking people out in his comic, uh, beating up any white adversary that comes along to steal the uranium. Panels of a black hero putting white antagonists on their back clearly did not go over terribly well with a lot of the white general public. Um, I think we can probably draw some comparisons between... You know, Black Panther's mountain rich in vibranium, which is dangerous 
in the wrong hands and all the world wants it oh, yeah. to what we see here in Lion Man where there's a mountain full of uranium that all the world wants and he's the only powerful hero that can that can stop it um as we could early with with lothar and mandrake the magician where we see you know he's the prince of uh, this wonderful tribe and so there's there's some things we should pick up really about that lyman was a bold gift to black readers during a deeply oppressive era um mm. But this boldness from from all Negro comics had unfortunately and devastating repercussions. Mm. Um, when Evans tried to publish a second issue, he encountered a series of barriers, barriers that no company who is trying who is publishing would ever really experience. Mm. The number one barrier was that no one would sell him paper anymore. He could not buy <laughs> oh. in paper to publish the comics on. No one would sell to him. It's 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 long been. I mean, there's no official record of this, but it has long been speculated by comic historians that this sudden, complete interruption of the supply chain after the first issue goes out was the result of racist distributors allegedly mm. blocking Evans from purchasing the raw materials needed to make the second issue. And and after the success of the first issue of all negro comics white publishers soon began to produce their own black comics um in inverted commas where the white writers and artists could control the narrative of these black characters as they saw fit there's no way to prove that this took place really mm. um but considering the the the, the racial equality at the time it, it, it's it's pretty apparent really that that's when it went down yeah um, it does feel like that so that was the the beginning and swift end of the world's first black superhero, Lion Man, um, mm. which is a shame because it, it it's it really it, it's 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 uh, a famous and only infamous because of how it ended, but it is a very famous and well thought of. Um, it, it was presented with a huge amount of pride um, and a huge amount of finally presenting this powerful black hero. We should also take a look at a comic book called Jungle Tales from the mm. 1950s. Jungle Tales was uh, published by Atlas Comics, which would go on to become Marvel Comics a decade later. It's an anthology series um, that would feature multiple different action-adventure stories set in different african jungles mm. and it exclusively featured white characters having their adventures in the african jungle repeating <laughs> the tropes and ideas of tarzan and yeah. the phantom as we mentioned before um but in 1954 jungle tales presents its first black leading character who mm. is therefore the first black leading character in marvel's history roughly speaking a lot of though um those Atlas uh, characters and stories are folded into the Marvel Universe, and it's the same company. 1954, Jungle Tales presents Waku, Prince of Bantu. Um, Waku is the prince of the Bantu nation located in the hidden depths of South Africa. Waku's mm. father, the chief of the tribesmen, um, falls ill and chooses his son to succeed him. But before dying, he has Waku swear that he will not use violence to lead their people, but instead be a peaceful and gentle leader. Gotcha. To honour his father's last wishes, Waku swears an oath to do so. 
To prove his worth, however, Waku has to fight the strongest warrior of the tribe to take the throne. But due to the oath that he swears to his father, he doesn't fight with violence and his rival takes the opportunity to defeat him and seize control of the tribe. This sounds very familiar to us, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, And so, yes, there are comparisons that we can draw with the story of Black Panther, especially in this movie. Um, And we have to think about these tropes and traditions that are carrying on. Mm. But we also need to think about I mean, I don't know if we're conveying just how racist <laughs> this industry is. Um, <laughs> I don't imagine it's any more or less racist than any other uh, of the major entertainment industries and media industries of that time. Mm. Um, but our old friends at the Comic Book Code Authority are going to enter the story now, Will, oh, as we no. hit 1956. Now, um, for those of you not in the know, the Comic Code Authority as a regulatory body that came about in 1954 um, by the uh, the quickly, hastily knocked together Comics Magazine Association of America. Uh, what had happened was <laughs> the comic books, the comic industry in America was completely unregulated. There right. was no oversight by government whatsoever. And so you had um, terrifying and violent gangster and horror comics on a comic book shelf next to, like, Superman and Batman. <laughs> um, and any, all, all ages can access them and buy them and take them home. Mm. And so there was a big public uproar about this. There were Senate hearings. There were book burnings. People really went hard after the comic books in general. To save the industry from being um, either com- you know completely taken over by the government, a self-regulatory body was was, was appointed. It brought about to regulate the depiction of violence, horror, sexual and adult themes in comic books mm. because they're readily available to all ages, right? Yeah. But in reality, the CCA, with no government oversight, could simply veto any depiction it did not approve of, even if that depiction did not break their rules mm. that they have written up. And whilst the comic book code was not like a legal requirement... Many, 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 many advertisers would not buy an advert and give their business to a comic book that didn't have the CCA stamp of approval. Gotcha. And many, many shops would not stock comic books that came from a company that did not have the stamp of approval. Does that basically make sense? That that, that basically does make sense, yeah. In the 1950s, the portrayal of a black man in a position of authority was highly controversial as was any discussion of racism or social politics around race and this becomes a big problem when ec comics entertainment comics wants to publish a story in a science science fiction story called judgment day the story depicts a human astronaut a representative of the galactic republic visiting a planet called I forget what it's called. It's a planet full of robots, right? Okay. This person is walking around in the full spacesuit, the helmet, astronaut, finds the robot society divided into functionally identical orange and blue races, one of which has fewer rights and privileges than the other for no discernible reason. 
Gotcha. The astronaut decides that due to the robot's bigotry, the Galactic Republic should not admit the planet into their wonderful collection of mm. races and cultures. And in the final panel in 1956, the astronaut removes his helmet, revealing himself to be a black man. Ah, I think I've read about this one online somewhere. The CCA refused to approve this story because, and I am quoting, the central character being black. That's the entire reason. There was no depiction of violence, no depiction of horror, the supernatural, no depiction of sexual or adult themes. It was simply a black lead character. The twist of which makes the whole story work. Yeah, absolutely. The... Comic Book Code Authority administrator was a chap called Judge Charles Murphy. Judge mm. isn't his first name. Judge is, he was a judge. Um, mm. He objected to the story because the central character was black. Murphy insisted that the main character be redrawn so that he was white. Which Ooh. EC Comics pointed out would remove the entire point and basis of the story. The story would not have an ending if the character that discovers this odd robot racism, takes the helmet off, and they're a white guy. There's no ending to that story. Mm. EC Comics refuses to do so, and a big argument breaks out between the Comic Code Authority and EC Comics. The editor of EC Comics at the time was called William Gaines, and he threatened to call a press conference and expose the racism and hypocrisy of the CCA. Judge Murphy would not bunch. Uh, Gaines later then threatened to sue the CCA and independently sued Judge Murphy on the basis that nothing that EC Comics had done had broken the rules that the CCA, the guidelines they'd set up, and said, you all have to abide by these guidelines or we won't approve you. And he said, there's nothing in your rules about there not being any black lead characters, and there's nothing in this comic that you should object to based on those rules. (laughs) Eventually, eventually this got judge murphy to relent but not before he offered a compromise okay judge murphy said he'd allow the main character to be portrayed as black but insisted that the beads of sweat be removed from the artwork of his face as he uh, believed uh. that showing a black man sweating was unseemly <laughs> ec comics held fast and in the end they won their argument and the story was printed with zero changes but it is a powerful example of the depiction of black characters in comic books in the 1950s just 10 years removed from when the black panther is going to make his first debut amazing now one of the comic book companies that operated without the cca's stamp of approval was an outfit called dell comics and dell published the very first comic book headlined by a black leading character a black star whose name was the title of the comic and whose picture is printed on the front cover um it was called Lobo, an action-adventure comic that chronicled the Old West adventures of a wealthy mm. African-American gunslinger called Lobo. Um, and uh, he was kind of like a um, Lone Ranger Zorro figure. Um, he would uh, you know, vanquish the criminals and leave a calling card, a gold coin on their forehead. And the gold coin had the image of a wolf and the letter L on it. Um, kind of a cool, you know, know, the Lone Ranger Zorro thing. I always thought was fun. The co-creator, writer and editor of it, called Don D.J. Arneson, explained that Lobo only lasted one issue. 
He said, They discovered that as they were sending out bundles of comics out to the distributors, when he says distributors, he means the shops, they were being returned unopened. And I couldn't figure out why. So they sniffed around, scouted around, and discovered that many sellers were opposed to Lobo, who was the first black hero. That was the end of the book. It sold virtually nothing. Mm. They printed 200,000 copies, which was about the going print rate at the time, and they sold maybe ten or 15,000. So this wow. objection from the regulatory body, distributors sending back copies and refusing to sell them because the star is black, Lion Man and all Negro comics being stopped after the first issue because the supply chain refused to sell them paper to print the character on. This should all inform where the world is at with black characters as we talk about the creation of the Black Panther, who was created in 1966 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, although, as ever with old comics, there is a huge dispute whether who actually really came up with it and who really did this, that, and the other. I'm not going to get into that. No, Um, no. There's no end to it. Absolutely no end. There are some people that support Stan Lee, some people that support Jack (laughs) Kirby. Who knows? The Black Panther's name does predate the founding of the Black Panther Party in October of 1966. Although it does not predate the Black Panther logo of the party's predecessor, the Lones County Freedom Organization. Although they weren't called the Black Panthers, they use the Black Panther as their logo, their symbol. And it also does not predate quite a famous segregated World War II um, tank battalion who the the, the uh, 761st were called the Black Panthers Tank Battalion. Mm. Stanley, when talked about this, said he kind of denied that the comic, which predates any of you know, the, the, the political Black Panther term, could have been named after either the Tank Battalion or the LCFO. He says mm. it's a strange coincidence. Um, the original sketch work for... Uh, for the character shows that T'Challa was originally going to be not be called the Black Panther, right? But was going to be called the Coal Tiger. Before, the Coal Tiger. The Coal Tiger. Oh, yeah. Wow. Before eventually, Marvel, Stan, Jack, whoever settled on the Black Panther, which has a much better name to it. Hmm. Um, Stanley sort of then recounted years later that the name was actually, apparently, according to Stan Lee, who I've said many times before, is a marketer and a carnal, carnival barker before he is a truth-teller. <laughs> he recounted that the name was inspired by a pulp adventure hero that he can't remember who had a black panther, an actual creature, mm. as a helper. Maybe maybe that's the story. Um, black Panther does not first appear in his own comic book series. He um he does appear. Oh wait, sorry. Before we get to that, Ooh. speaking of the Black Panther name, in yeah. in in 1972, the Black Panther stopped being the Black Panther to avoid connotations with the Black Panther Party. He changed his name to the Black Leopard. Um, okay, but the new name uh, didn't last very long. Mm. Uh, later the uh, the same year. I think, yeah, later the same year or the year... Yeah, not very long later. Um, in an issue of Avengers, T'Challa explains that renaming himself made no sense. And he yeah. basically says to the Scott, to like, 
Would the Scarlet Witch alter her name to distance herself from witches? I don't think so. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that, that the name doesn't prove to be too much of a problem. But it still must have been... There's a lot about this that must have worried Marvel Comics. Hmm. The people in charge of Marvel clearly got second thoughts when introducing such a prominent black character. The hmm. original artwork for the Black Panther, when he's the coal tiger, he hmm. does not have a mask. He is a he is a visibly black man with no mask, nothing covering his face. Hmm. So T'Challa's costume completely exposed his face and his black identity to the whole world. He was then redesigned as the Black Panther, and a lot about the costume has changed. He now had a mask, hmm. but he had um, like it was an open mouth mask, a bit like Captain America's, right? Captain uh, America, yeah, yeah. you say, is an open mouth mask. Now, his actually had the jaws of a tiger around his own mouth, which is a very cool look. That is so cool. But what it shows is that mm. Black Panther's skin, T'Challa's skin, was black. Mm. It displayed this was a black man behind the behind the mask and in the role. And that preview artwork exists and is out there in in in, in some copies. But sometime before the preview artwork and the actual publication day, Marvel got such cold feet about having a prominent black character that the whole mask of the Black Panther is redesigned to completely hide and obscure his features, his skin clutter. Maybe, I think after we think about this history we've been going on, maybe Marvel were thinking about Lion Man getting forced out of publishing in the 40s. Maybe they're thinking about retailers refusing to sell copies of Lobo. And maybe they're thinking about the CCA objecting to having a black man as the lead character just 10 years before. Maybe they thought of all of that and decided to cover up Black Panther's face uh, when before they put it on front covers of his first appearance. That would make I sense. think it's quite clear and quite apparent that a lot of the Black Panther character is based on already existing ideas and tropes from the depiction of African characters, as we've discussed. Lion yeah. Man, Lothar, and the action-adventure genre. The idea of African royalty that becomes a crime-fighting adventurer, we've already talked about being present. The idea of an African leader having to protect a powerful and unique mineral source from the outside world, we've already talked about. Mm. An, an African prince who has his throne stolen away from him by trickery due to like a battle royal for the throne, we've already talked about. What really stands out, though, in the original initial presentation of the character is the fresh and bold and innovative depiction of T'Challa as the leader of this super advanced hidden nation. The, the, the concept that Wakanda is secretly the most powerful and wealthy country on earth, packed with high-tech sci-fi technology and flying cars and supercomputers, that had never been shown or portrayed before in any form of media. Um, so the character T'Challa doesn't debut as the the leading character in his own comic, as a few heroes do, but it wasn't unusual. He, de he debuts as a supporting character, initially an antagonist, in the Fantastic Four. He has two issues, issue 52 and 53, in, in the, the summer of 1966, and he becomes a, a, a returning and recurring Fantastic Four character. Just two years later, in 1968... Stanley has the Black Panther leave Wakanda and become the latest member of the Avengers. Mm. That was a massive, massive moment for 
T'Challa. Yeah. To become so much more prominent. He goes from being an occasional guest star in the Fantastic Four to one of the leading characters in the leading comic they present, standing shoulder to shoulder with Captain America and Thor and Iron Man. Um, And he's a part of that comic into the 1970s. T'Challa wouldn't receive his first starring feature until 1973. Marvel took that old comic they had, Jungle Action, Mm. um, which featured lots of many jungle stories, and someone decided to point out, you know what, all we do is print, in Jungle Action, is print stories about white people in the jungle. (laughs) The 70s is the era of a lot more black representation in action-adventure movies, um, and so... It's probably a cynical marketing idea, I, rather than it is some you know wonderful. Wouldn't it be great idea? But you know, Marvel decide to make the Black Panther the star of Jungle Action, and it becomes mm. Jungle Action starring the Black Panther. The new series um, began running, written by a, a writer called Don McGregor, with pencils by some really great artists over the years, including Gil Kane and Billy Graham. But Don McGregor is a very important figure in the history of Black Panther because that series of jungle action with the Black Panther, it became critically acclaimed. Mm. Um, he, he pioneered... McGregor on Jungle Action pioneered the self-contained multi-issue story arc in comic mm. books. So whilst... Spider-Man comics in the 70s and and Mm. the 60s. It's this kind of soap opera that keeps going on. Mm. And some things are a two-parter and might lead into the next issue. Don McGregor on Black Panther invented what dominates Marvel Comics and DC Comics today. The idea that you have a story arc that is like 10 issues long. And whilst... And that 10 issues is the story. Mm. Um, it's not this ongoing two-parter and then another two-parter, then a one-parter. It's a... And in this, was it was, thir- it was called Panther's Rage, and it was 13 issues long. And it has been called... That story arc has been offhandedly referred to as Marvel's first graphic novel. Because if you collect it together and publish it, which they have done, it reads like a one-story graphic novel. Gotcha, yeah. Rather than this week, Black Panther fights this guy, next week, someone <laughs> else. And it's um, a really a really special and important series. Um, and uh, Panther's, Panther's Rage is the first to do that. And he follows up Panther's Rage with a, a second story arc um, called Panther versus the Clan. Um, in which the Black Panther does tackle the Ku Klux Klan. Amazing. Highly controversial, um, even in the 1970s, um, and created a lot of difficulties for the team. It's worth noting, though, um, as we look at this movie that is black-written and black-directed, that the Black Panther as a character was not written by a black person until 1998, a full 32 years after his creation. Black, uh, T'Challa had been a bit player and a and a C-list character after the, the that that seventies series came to an end for decades, and then in nineteen ninety eight, which this is also an indictment of Marvel. Marvel's <laughs> Marvel's first ever full time black writer didn't arrive until nineteen ninety eight. Wow! And this is a guy. It's a very very 
overwhelmingly white medium. This mm. writer is called Christopher Priest. He is hugely important to this movie. He is hugely important to the Black Panther. He began a seminal run under Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti on the Marvel Knights banner that redefined the Black Panther character, that made him cool, badass for the, like, the first time since the 70s and inspired so much of this film. Thanks for joining us as we revisit some of our favourite moments from Marvel vs. Marvel. Don't forget our full-length episodes are jam-packed with hours of Marvel trivia, behind-the-page, behind-the-scenes, and comic book Marvel history. 